May God give us a generation that's passionate about this book right here. And nothing else matters to me. A mindset and a heart, the Bible says it, we believe it. The Bible says it, that settles it. There's no arguing, as we mentioned a little bit ago. There's no questioning, there's no hesitation, there's no deviation from it. Rather, there's a ribrock conviction, there's a resolve. There's a radical spirit that embodies us down to the very fiber of our being in which we will cling to it and we will not let it go. The Bible says in Psalm 119, you can turn to Psalm 119 as we'll be going through some verses in this text, but if I may read in advance to you getting specifically to our text, in Psalm 119, as you turn there also listening, the Bible says in verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning. I'm thankful that the word of God is truth. It's something that we can trust. It continues, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In Psalm 100, verse number 5, the Bible also says that his truth endureth to all generations. And the same truth that generations gone by needed, lived by, embraced, obeyed, is the exact same truth that we have today. It does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God will not change. And praise God tonight that we can grab a hold of the Bible and say, thank you, Lord, that I have truth. It's something that's relevant for right now. You say, well, the generation is just so far gone, and culture shifts, and things change, and so on and so forth. But I'm thankful tonight that, praise the Lord, that truth does not change. And God is not one who, if you will, puts his finger up in the air and feels the ebb and flow and the shift of culture and to see where things may be popular or not, and then adapts to it. Rather, what he says is true from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of this book. It's, thus saith the Lord, thank God that it will not change, and it's relevant for right now, 2023, daily Christianity. God's word is not outdated. It hasn't expired. It will never crumble away with antiquity since it's so ancient. Generations gone by. Rather, as I read actually my devotions this morning, in Isaiah 40, verse number 8, the Bible says and proclaims, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible will not fail. Praise God for that. Though empires have tried to burn it, though kings have sought to banish it, though men have eagerly endeavored to scoff it, and though translators have painstakingly connived to pollute it, the Bible still stands. 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, the Word of God declares, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth. These are present tense terms. It's living right now. It's abiding right now and forever for all flesh is as grass. It's nodding now to Isaiah chapter number 40 of what was mentioned in the Old Testament. All the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. The Bible will never fail but also, praise God tonight, the Bible will never fade away over time. Maybe you've heard the testimony of the French philosopher centuries ago. His name was Voltaire, a skeptic who destroyed the faith of many people. Boasted that within 100 years of his death, the Bible would disappear from off the face of the earth and that the only copies in existence would simply be those on display at museums. 
Which, by the way, I'm thankful that we have a Bible museum in Washington, D.C. that we can go visit. It's amazing to see and to consider how that God has inspired his word and preserved his word, and we've got it right now in our laps. The pages open up. We're expounding from it, preaching from it. Thank God, as my wife played in the offertory, and thank you for letting her play tonight. Uh, That was a real treat for her. She enjoys doing that. Wonderful words of life. The last solo uh, by way of testimony there. I have a Bible. This French philosopher boasted that within 100 years of his death, the Bible would disappear. Of course, we know the end of that story. Voltaire died in 1721, but the Bible lives on. According to history, Less than 25 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his former home and used his own printing presses to print countless Bibles that were then distributed across the world. God has a sense of humor. You challenge me, I'll challenge you. Let's see who wins. Atheist Robert Ingersoll, he he actually was a pastor's son. He would fill theaters and arenas with his uh, atheistic bragging and how they, he would threaten God and say, God, strike me down right here on the stage if you're real. And this man once boasted, within 15 years, I'll have the Bible lodged in a morgue. But within 15 years of that very statement, he was dead and the Bible still lives on. Yeah. Thankful tonight, Jesus said in Luke 21, verse number 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It's that firm foundation we can successfully and effectively build our lives upon. Thank God what they needed 500 years ago is the exact same thing we need tonight. The same thing that allowed them to experience a successful marriage and uh, heaven on earth, if you will, and raising their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the day in, day out consistency and faithfulness and fervency to go on and be used of God to make an eternal impact and to make a difference in their culture is the exact same truth and the exact same Bible we've got tonight. Thank God. God, if they could do it, we can do it too because they had a Bible and so do we. How wonderful. It's so encouraging. Matthew 5, verse number 18, he says, the Lord says something similar. He says, for verily I say unto you, or you better mark it down. Don't misunderstand me. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Praise God tonight, the Bible will never fail. The Bible will never fade away over time, but the Bible will never falter. It doesn't shift, as we've already said. It's still relevant, applicable to our daily lives. It's never going to change. Right will always be right, and wrong will always be wrong. Uh, Biblically, what's right will never become what's wrong. Whether how it's defined or described in culture. The Bible is the only source of absolute truth in the entire universe. And we've got it tonight. What a joy it is to be able to crack it open and to be able to read it, to study it, to meditate upon it throughout the day, to memorize it, to live our lives according unto it. Thank God tonight. And I pray that you individually, and of course as families and as a church, but individually, you have submitted yourself under the authority of the Word of God. Knowing that the Bible will never lead you astray, Knowing that God's word, the principles and the promises therein will always remain the same as we've been emphasizing much tonight. And a statement that we can make is this. We can always claim God's word. We read it. Oh, I like, yes, God, I need this. Help me. I want to live by this. We can always claim God's word because God will always keep his word. 
Your family does not need your wisdom. Your family needs the word of God. And as we apply wisdom and understanding and expertise and experience, it's always being filtered through the context and the truth of the word of God. Ma'am, your children need a godly mother who has a faithful walk and reverence and a love for this book. Grandparents and siblings and friends and all in each and every one of us as we're engaged in each other's lives that we're continually encouraging each other concerning the word of God. Of course, you don't have to look long throughout history to realize that the Bible has more, been more attacked than anything else. God's word has been Satan's number one target ever since the beginning, by the way. Why? Because you see that he was uh, seeking to deceive Eve there as he engaged her in conversation and dialogue. And what did he do? He began to redefine the Bible, began to rewrite the Bible, began to rewrite the thus saith the Lord. And he put a question mark where God had put a period. Yea, have God said. The serpent was very crafty and Satan is very subtle. And I believe generation after generation, the devil has desperately tried his best to stamp it out. I believe it's because he knows the Bible is the key. The key to everything, to finding purpose, fulfillment, joy, potential, the blessings of heaven. As my wife saying, to understand salvation, he says in 1 John, these things have are written unto you. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. Thank God for that tonight. The word of God holds the answer to everything and the devil is going to do everything he can to keep you from this book. The devil is going to do everything he can to keep this church from following this book. Satan wants to derail us from obeying this book. We'll get to Psalm 119 here in just a moment. But I'm mindful of what the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 3 verse number 16. All scripture is, present tense, given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. Every word, every part, every aspect. Directly from the heart, the mind, and the mouth of God. Of course, what a privilege it must have been to be one of those men who scribed down, wrote down as God spoke through them, as the Bible teaches us. Holy men of God uh, wrote, uh, and they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we've got the Bible now for us to be able to meditate upon and study and read. Uh, but the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you realize that right now it's living? Right now God is trying to breathe this life into you. It wasn't just inspired and now it just lives on. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We've been preaching about revival in the college and with the young people, and I'm so thankful for it, and the way the Lord's been leading it and things. And the uh, 9 o'clock hour, uh, preaching about the concept and the desire, the burden to have revival, the prayer life for it, and craving and seeking God. And, and then uh, as we transition to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, the emphasis of personal prayers for daily revival, and we're working through uh, several things through these services of what we ought to claim and desire to live by. And I'm thankful that the Word of God is able to... To breathe this life in the word of God is what can stimulate and stir and bring the spirit of revival in us and through us and move among us. We need the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
The Bible is beneficial. The Bible is helpful. That's why God gave it to us. He wants to help you. He wants to help me. You know, the person who doesn't read the Bible and the person who doesn't desire to follow the Bible, the person who uh, just kind of looks at it and it's more of an accessory to the Christian life and just kind of thumbnail through it and look at various things and have half an eye, half an ear, half a heart unto it is someone who's literally missing out on God's hand of blessing upon what they could experience. May God help us to be passionate for this book. Why? God's trying to help us. Amen? God is cheering for you and rooting for you and pulling for you. And God is trying to help us understand that all Scripture is profitable. It's beneficial. It's wholesome. It's healthy. It continues in that text in 2 Timothy 3.16 that it's profitable for doctrine. Now, what's doctrine? Doctrine is what's right. It's truth. It's not wrong. It's absolutely correct. Doctrine is what is right, period. The facts of life, the principles that need to govern our existence and to guide us. It's profitable. It's inspired in doctrine, in reproof. What's reproof? It's teaching that reveals unto us what's not right. We need that kind of teaching. We need the word of God to shine light on the stuff that we should stay away from. And God would have us to be wise concerning that which is good. Romans 16, we read that in Family Devotions here this past week. He would have us wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. You know, you don't need to know a lot about sin to avoid sin. The best way to be able to avoid sin and mark sin and stay away from sin is to have a thorough knowledge of this book. Because this book, which is good and healthy and wholesome, uh, it's truth. This is what will reveal the difference between what's right and what's wrong. It's profitable for doctrine, what's right, for reproof, teaching that shows us and reveals unto us what is not right. For correction, what's that? Well, how to get things right. How to stay right with the Lord and how to get the things that are wrong in our life right with God. Uh, even instruction in righteousness or how to grow in our walk with God and stay right with the Lord. And thank God that he's given us the Bible and we're laying foundation concerning this tonight. And it continues in 2 Timothy 3.17 uh, that it's there to equip us and thoroughly furnish us and to render us perfect, if you will. Not in the sense of sinless perfection, but rather uh, that we can be complete and entire, lacking nothing, everything you need. I'll say it a third time tonight. Uh, everything you need to effectively and successfully live your life and to reach your full potential. Whatever area of capacity you may have can be found right here in this book from cover to cover. May God give us a Bible generation. We see here now, notice in Psalm 119, if you're in your place, would you say amen in that chapter? Notice what the Bible says in verse number 30. Psalm 119, verse number 30. He makes this statement in Psalm 119, verse number 30. I. You know, this was a personal decision. Is this personal to you? I presume that it is. May we just not go along with the flow of everybody else because it's popular in our culture of the church. Or because you've been born and raised in a Christian home and you're grown up in a culture of Christianity. But rather, you individually have ribrock conviction. It's something of a personal persuasion. I have chosen the way of truth, singular. We know that truth is singular. 
Because it's a singular source, the Bible, a singular person, Jesus Christ. Not many ways on a spoke of a wheel that lead us to one place. It's the Bible. It's Christ who is the living word, John 1. And we see here that a Bible generation is a generation that's determined with God's word. Very simple message tonight. I have no idea why God will have me to preach it, but I'm obeying the Lord. A generation that sees that, yes, there are various ways that we could go down, but you know what? Take the world and give me Jesus. I, I don't want the ways of the flesh, and I don't want the ways of sin and of Satan and of culture and all these things. I choose specifically truth. Give me the Bible every single time. Don't, don't give me anything else. I don't want it. Give me his word. It's personal, but it's passionate. There is rib-rock conviction within, and you cannot persuade me otherwise. And even if I'm the only one and the last man, if so to speak, that is standing, I will still be faithful unto the final breath and to the finish. I have chosen the way of truth. You know, it's interesting through this chapter, there's different ways that the Bible shows and reveals unto us that an individual could go. And I pray tonight that you're determined to be a part of the Bible generation, that you're going to follow the Lord and his word. But notice, if you would be so kind, go with me uh, to verse number 127 and verse number 128 of Psalm 119. Very quickly. I believe last time I was here, we emphasized this in one of the college chapels. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't keep track of what I preach where. I just mind the Lord and obey the Holy Spirit. Psalm 120, uh, 119, verse number 127, the Bible says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem, or I highly regard all thy precepts concerning all things to be what, church? Right. And I hate what kind of way? Every false way. What do we see here? God's exposing and revealing unto us. Here's some reproof. Hey, there's the way of error. That is certainly a direction that you can go down. The way of false religions and the way of false doctrines and the way of false Bibles even and things that will cause us to stray away from the purity and the authenticity of the thus saith the Lord. And may God give us men once again. May God give us women once again. May God give us young people and children and teenagers that have a rib-rock conviction and a radical spirit there's a determination. I am passionate about this book. Uh, this is the only thing I want. I need the Bible. I've got to have the Bible. I've chosen the way of truth. I will not go the way of error. Moving back through the text, go to verse number 101. Verse number 101. We see another way described. Again, a personal decision. I have refrained or I have stopped dead in my tracks. I will not move another inch. I have refrained my feet from every what kind of way? Evil way. Why? That I may keep what? I believe it was D.L. Moody. I, believe, I think he had only a sixth grade education. Of course, the education is irrelevant. But a man with such small secular knowledge had such a depth of wisdom and understanding that touched over a hundred million people 
in his lifetime alone, and he being dead yet speaketh, God is still using him. As we may have, what, 200 people in here? I don't know, 300 people, who knows? And now he being dead yet speaketh, the truth that he said was this. You know, sin will keep you from that book, or that book will keep you from sin. And that statement is a mirror of what we find right here. I have refrained my feet from every evil way. Why? That I may keep thy word. The Bible is teaching us through this as we look at it and we study the verse and the context. I cannot keep his word and walk the way of evil at the same time. I must refrain my feet from every evil way. Why? So that I may keep what this book says. I'm concerned and I'm greatly burdened. There's a lot of Christians, and I've become guilty of it too, and it's a day-by-day walk with the Lord. Amen, church? But we become guilty trying to want to have it both ways. We want the world, and we want the word. Jesus was trying to help us. A couple of times in the New Testament, he said in the Gospels, listen, folks, no man can serve two masters. We actually brought that up in, in, in the college meetings. No man can serve two masters. You'll either hold to the one and despise the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Tonight, we cannot hold to the way of sin and expect the blessings of God from his word. We cannot accept a lifestyle of wickedness and carnality and corruption and expect to have our feet straight on the path that God has for us in our life. We must choose. And every single day, each and every one of us choose. You know, I'm thankful that in the moment of potentially going down that way of evil and maybe we're engaged in something and doing something, saying something, thinking something, whatever that we shouldn't be doing, something is influencing us, and so on and so forth. I love what this verse says, I have reframed my feet. That means I'm going that direction, but I stopped dead in my tracks. And you know what? I ain't going down it any further. I'm turning around and I'm going toward the word of God. I'm repenting from this. I cannot go this way and that way. I will literally be pulled apart. And maybe that's why some marriages are strained tonight. Maybe that's why some young people uh, with their uh, future and the will of God that he has for you, you're pulled tonight and you feel like you're being ganked and jerked around. It's because you can't have it both ways. Surrender to Jesus. Live for Jesus. Follow the word of God. I beg of you. And God begs you too. He does. All throughout Scripture, he seeks to draw us in loving kindness unto himself in the Bible. He says, I have refrained. I'm thankful that in the moment of yielding and giving ourselves over to sin, we can stop dead in those tracks through the power of Christ and get victory. And maybe you are living a life of sin tonight. Maybe there are things in your life uh, that you may be engaging in or doing uh, that people don't even know about, which, by the way, the two most dangerous sins are, the number one, the sins that don't convict me anymore when I commit them, the sins that don't bother me anymore, and the sins that I think I'm getting away with. Two most dangerous sins. Another statement, not to just drop little statements here, but a statement that we said among the young people today is just because sin is not visible does not mean that it's not present. 
May God help us tonight to have a personal persuasion to be a Bible generation that is determined with this book right here. And as we find in verse number 101, I have reframed my feet from every evil way. There's not a tolerance of sin. There's a total turning from that sin and unto Jesus. There is a radical. There is a passionate craving and yearning for what God has for my life. And I'm not going to go that direction. Some of us could have been need to stop dead in our tracks right now, and in the power of Christ, you can experience victory. You say, is that easy? Yes. It can't be. It is easy. And certainly the tentacles of sin seek to pull us back and yank us back down, but thank God we can become more than conquerors through him that loved us, and God can help you, and God can strengthen you, and God can enable you to get the victory over these weak areas and these besetting sins, and you can come out the other side choosing the way of truth, being determined with the word of God, and experience victory. If you don't believe it tonight, you've already let the devil win. If you don't believe it, then why even try? Because you've already quit in your mind. The Bible continues. Let's look in verse number 59. Verse number 59. Bible generation is determined with God's word. We see in verse number 59, it says, I thought on whose ways? <laughs> That's hitting close to home. <laughs> We see the way of error, the way of evil. What about the way of ego? I thought on my ways, and you know what? I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I'm doing that which is right in my own eyes, and the Bible says it twice, and we reference the verses to the young people today in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. This just seems to make sense. This is what I believe that I need to do. Just because you're persuaded that you should do it doesn't mean it's right. We need to get the hand of God on our life. We need the direction of the Lord. I'm not trying to belabor a service, and I'm not trying to re-preach a message. But as we mentioned to the young people, there's a difference between good intentions and godly intentions. And good will always be the enemy of best. Because good is, well, it's fine, I'll go ahead and accept that. And we settle as a result. And I guarantee everybody in this room, listen, you want to be a success. And you want to experience fullness. And you want to go forward and to make much of your life. But there's a difference between your intentions and your ways and your thoughts and God's ways and God's thoughts and God, God's intentions. I believe it's Isaiah 55 that teaches us that. God is trying to help us. And he's not scolding us, but he lovingly is saying, now, let me, let me, just, let me just tell you something. It's may convict you, and it may, you, in your flesh, you may find it offensive. But you know what? I'm going to tell it to you straight anyway because you need to hear it, son. Amen? He says, my ways are not your ways. I mean, how much more cut and dry can it get? Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, my thoughts, higher than your own. My flesh doesn't like to hear that. Because I get bloated with arrogance and self-sufficiency and pride and my own ability, which honestly is feeble at best compared to the awesome power of God that can literally course through our veins as we go forward daily and live the life that he has for us with our best interest in mind. And I pray that you believe that tonight. 
God's saying, listen, I know that you got a great way planned. But it pales in comparison to the richness and the splendor and the beauty and the miraculousness of what I can do if you'll let me lead you. And God's spirit will always lead you by God's scripture, by his word. He'll never contradict. May God give us adults tonight and young people tonight and families tonight and churches tonight across this country that are going to band together and say, you know what? We're walking the Bible way. We're going to stand the Bible way. We're going to talk the Bible way. Don't give me that error stuff. Don't give me that evil stuff. Don't give me that ego stuff. God, help me to get victory over my own flesh, right? God, I don't want to listen to my own dreams and desires as we preach to the young people. God, not me first, but thee first. He must increase. And I must decrease. He must be magnified and exalted. And I must be taken off the throne and smashed down and absolutely debased. That's John 3.30. I'm concerned that if we're not careful, what happens is we know the verse. But even though we know the verse, he must increase and I must decrease. But I must decrease. The way we live it is different. I guess I'm just speaking from my own personal experience at times where I know the verse, but this is how I'm living. Yeah, he needs to increase and I need to decrease. That's a totally different meaning than what the Bible says. He must increase. What does that mean? You know what? Nothing is going to stand in my way. He will have preeminence. We're going to kick and scream and fight tooth and nail until he has first place in my life. Amen? Amen. We ain't going to stop at nothing until I, but I must decrease. Oh, wretched man that I am, I am nothing and he is everything. And as we yield our nothingness to his everythingness, then something is accomplished and something can be done and experience the will of God and the way God has for you according to his word and he'll experience that full potential. God help us tonight to get victory over our flesh and our arrogance and our pride and to swallow and say, God help me, I need help. I thought of my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. Look at verse number 36 and 37. I thought this was just going to be five minutes and it's turning into 15 minutes. Psalm 119, verse number 36 and 37. Incline, what does that word mean? If if you'd be so kind to look this way, what does that word mean? Uh, Jonathan, would you come up here quickly? I always use him uh, as the sermon illustration. <laughs> and so I always pick on him, so I'll be consistent. Come on up here, son. Amen. I don't think we've ever done this. Oh, we haven't ever done this. I've never done this. He's like, what are we going to do, Dad? Well, are you excited? Here we go. Incline means God. He's the Christian. I'll be the Lord. He's saying, God, I want you to take my heart, incline my heart. I want you to take it, and I want you to make it bow down before you. God, I'm giving you complete license and liberty to take your hand upon my head and my shoulders and force me down on my knees, all the way down. (laughs) To be completely prostrate before the king of kings. You can get up now. It's a whole lot nicer to do it on a rug than on the hardwood, all right? But you've got lint all over your jacket, son. What on earth? What have you done? 
it's full of lint. So there's a lint roller in the missions department. All right, go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> now you know there's lint on that carpet. Has anybody vacuumed this? I presume they do. Somebody needs to vacuum this before Sunday. <laughs> what on earth is happening right now in the message? <laughs> oh. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies. God, I'm giving you open license and liberty to take my heart. Why? Because my heart doesn't want to do it. I don't want to yield. But God, I'm begging you to force me and make me yield. Because I know that's what my life needs. Amen? What a powerful picture of surrender. Saying, God, I know I don't want to do it right now, but I know I need it. Please do something. Oh, God, help me. Incline my heart and God in that hand of love will then bring us low. And as a result of being humbled before the Lord, he shall lift you up. Amen. So much that we could talk concerning that. The Bible says, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Verse number 36. Covetousness is a sin. Thou shalt not covet, one of the Ten Commandments. What is that? Covetousness is a lustful, sinful urge for more money and more materialism. Now stop. Hold on. Is there anything wrong with having money? No. Is there anything wrong with having stuff? No. The Bible teaches us that. For a man to be able to eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, this is the gift of God. Praise God for the abundance and the blessings that we have. Now, we understand very soberingly that it does teach us in Luke chapter number 12, uh, uh, there, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And God, as I'm sure you heard preached in the mission's revival, has blessed us with much. Why? So we sit on it? No. But rather we can be conduits and vessels and channels that God can work through. And as a result of being given much, much then could be done for the furtherance of the gospel. $21,000? Praise God. God blesses us with much. Why? So we can give much. But Jesus also in Luke 12, 15 said this, take heed. Pay attention, he's saying, and beware of covetousness. Watch out. Pay attention. Be alert and vigilant. Why do we need to watch out for this sin? Why is he warning us about it? Because he knows that we have a problem with it. And he tries to help us. He continues in Luke 12, 15. 12, 15 uh, beware of covetousness. Why? Because a man's life, for a man's life, life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We've got to be careful of this way of envy uh, that we'll describe here tonight as is being mentioned in verse number 36. Oh God, please don't incline my heart unto covetousness. Don't let it bow down into submission and subjection to a lustful, sinful urge for more money and materialism. God, help me to be content. God, help me not to be greedy, but God, help me to be thankful for what you bless me with, to be grateful in my life with all the abundance. And Lord, help me to be a good steward of these things. And Lord, I pray, verse number 37, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. God, help me not to look. Help me not to be enamored and drawn in to the vain things that are temporal that are worthless. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter. How much money I had or didn't have, what kind of a home I lived in, what kind of vehicle I drove. Unless it's a Ford, I guess. That's up, sorry. Et cetera, et cetera. You understand what the Bible is teaching us. 
to not be so focused and fixated on the temporal concerns of life, but rather the eternal calling and the eternal concerns uh, that God has for us as he desires to use us. And he says in verse number 37, and quicken thou me in thy way. Oh God, not the way of envy, but I want the way that you have, the way of everlasting truth. God, help me to be determined. I have chosen this way. I want this way. My mind is made up. We're going forward for God. Give me the Bible. Quicken thou me. Maybe that's a prayer that we need to pray. God, help me. This word quicken is the exact same Old Testament Hebrew word for the word revive. Renew, refresh, reignite my heart to beat and to burn as yours does, O God. I believe that a Bible generation is a generation that's determined with God's word. We're passionate about truth. Take the world, give me Jesus. I've decided to follow him and what he has for my life. Does that describe you as a man tonight? As you are the leader of that tribe and that home that God has blessed you with, do your children know that you're a man of God? You make mistakes, I make mistakes, nobody's perfect. But you know what? Our children know that dad has a passion for this book right here. The Bible says it. I believe it. The Bible says it. That settles it. We're not going to question the authority and the validity of the word of God. What the Bible says, that's the way it's going. Passionate about truth, principled by truth. Whatsoever things are true, Philippians 4.8 Think on these things. These things do, the Bible says in verse number 9 of Philippians 4. We're passionate about truth. We're principled by truth. We're proactive for truth. We're not sitting on our hands and doing nothing about it. We're not blowing smoke and talking about it. But man, we are proactive for it. As it says in Joshua 24, as the leader here of the children of Israel uh, stood before the congregation and said, listen, uh, this is the way we ought to go. Uh, but uh, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do in your life. Because I'm not living in your shoes and you're not living in mine. You're responsible for yourself and what choices you make with your home and your existence. And there in Joshua 24, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And how are they going to serve him? The previous verse says we are going to serve him in sincerity. Or well, we're real deal about this. This is not motions, this is not formality, this is not ritualism, this is not something that we're just putting on as we come to church and then we're putting off like a coat when we go home. This is who we are. We're not perfect, but we're principled by this book and we're gonna be proactive for this book. We're passionate, our heart burns for this book and everything we say and do is being filtered through what this book says, period. There's no deviation from it, amen. We're going to serve him in sincerity and in truth, Joshua said. You want to know how we're serving the Lord? We're living for God? Just read that book. That's what I identify with. A Bible generation is determined with God's word. Here in conclusion tonight, the last few observations that help us are these. Look at, if you would be so kind, at verse number 20. Let the word of God rush over your soul here and wash over you. Psalm 119, verse number 20, we're almost through. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Are you thinking about those words? 
Verse number 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Verse number 131. A couple of pages over possibly there, depending on the font size of your Bible. It's a long chapter. Psalm 131. I opened my mouth and what, church? Panted for I, what? Longed for thy commandments. Verse number 161, verse number 162. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. I don't know what's going on right now, so to speak, is what he's saying. Seems like the world's against me and everything's going contrary, but you know what? It is what it is. My heart, however, standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Verse number 167. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Not only a Bible generation determined with God's word, a Bible generation desires God's word. There is a desperation for it. I long, I'm panting, I crave it. I gotta have it. I can't take another step. I can't make another decision or a choice. I can't live without it. I've got to have this book. Desires. Not only of desperation, but of delight. As he says in verse number 161, my heart standeth in awe of thy word. When I open up your Bible and I hear preaching from your Bible, when I read your Bible, meditate upon your Bible, study your Bible, oh God, thy word, it rejoiceth. It brings a smile to my face. And it's not something that I'm plastering on. It's a genuine pleasure that wells up within me that I cannot contain. It's like I walked into a room that nobody had ever discovered before in some uh, pyramid or whatever, some grave. And man, look at all of the wealth and look at all the riches. Wow! My eyeballs are the size of the saucers. You're going to pick up my mouth literally, literally, my jaws literally on the floor. Does that describe our approach and our attitude to this precious book? Here's a way to describe it, and I, I pray that you'll never forget this. My heart standeth in awe. You know what that means? I crack open the Bible, preaching from the Bible, etc. An inhalation. It is not this. church again. And this is the one thing the Garraways have, have to daily just get the mind of the Lord. We're, we're in church five times more than everybody else, right? For Caleb Garraway, my fourth message today, that it wouldn't be, but every single time I get behind the pulpit, even if it's five minutes later from a, split, from a session, right? Let's do that tonight. Close your Bibles. Let's practice together. A Bible generation has a spiritual inhalation. So in three, two, one, we're going to breathe in together. Three, we're going to practice our breathing. Three, two, one. It should not be a spiritual exhalation. Let's try that. Three, breathing out. Three, two, one. Silly. Borderline silly, simple, scriptural. And lastly, a Bible generation declares God's word. 
Final verse, Psalm 119, verse number 13. We'll be through. You're so kind, so attentive tonight. Psalm 119, verse number 13. The Bible generation is determined with God's word, desires God's word through desperation and delight. I pray that we haven't lost our wonder with the word. A Bible generation declares God's word. Verse number 13, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Isn't that the great commission? Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Mark, Matthew, Go forward, I'm sending you, I'm commissioning you to reach the world with the gospel. And as you do, and after they trust Christ, baptize them and teach them to observe all things. What's all things? Well, just the stuff that's relevant for the church age in the New Testament. No. Cover to cover, Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book. You know, if it wasn't relevant, God would take it out himself, but he didn't. And all scripture is inspired and is profitable. We need every book. Jesus looked at the devil in the face and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We need this book. You cannot live successfully and reach your full potential without this book. Your marriage needs this book. Your life needs this book. Your children needs this book. This church needs this book. Let's stay faithful with this book. Let's be determined with it and desire it through desperation, longing, craving, panting, gotta have it, can't live without it, a delight, a spiritual inhalation, a yes, oh God, thank you. Woo! Glory to God, he's given me his word. And I am going to declare it to every human being that I possibly can. That's a Bible generation. Does this describe and define your life tonight? Are things, are there things lacking? Are there things that we need to work on? Asking the Lord for help to enable us to be that Bible generation that we ought to be and we get to be. Father, help us now as we seek your face and invitation. Lord, a lot of study, a lot of scripture, but an emphasis entirely upon thy word. Help us to not take for granted the Bible. Lord, help us to have hearts and lives that love it, embrace it. God, I pray tonight, even some young person would just go home tonight and in their bed, in their room, they'd just hug their Bible. As adults, we would just take our Bible, we would flip through the pages, we would smell the pages. Just as people do the first time they see a Bible, receive a Bible in some foreign country. Tears streaming down their cheeks, overwhelmed that they've got a Bible. Forgive us if we've taken your word for granted. Forgive us if we've been careless. Forgive us if we've been questioning it. Forgive us if we've been cutting corners. We've been complacent toward it, compromising away from it. God, help us to continue in it. Heads are about eyes are closed. I'm not going to ask any questions. My wife is going to play tonight softly on the piano. The reason I'm not going to ask any questions is not because of the time, but because the Lord has not given me permission to do so, number one. And number two, you know exactly whatever it is that God dealt with you about. 
But I encourage you to come and do business with God as a family. Would you come? Pray together with your wife and your children. Pray and say, we want to follow your word. Oh, God, we love you and thank you for the Bible. Would you come? Even now, as you stand to your feet, my wife plays. Lord, help us as we seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.